Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline Podcast. I'm Neil. With Matthew Statler. So we are talking about the question, do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Yeah. Or we could say the physical and spiritual needs of others. And, you know, Neil, as as we've approached this question, um, I've been studying James. I've been preaching through James for a while now. And Good. you need it, man. To, oh, yeah, we need it. Um, it's really, really been helpful and clearing up some some concepts and talking about do, being doers of the word and, and works versus faith. And we really have just now hit our stride. We're in uh, chapter 2, 14 through 17 this, this week. Uh, and in it, James does this thing called the diatribe where yep. he brings in a, another person, you know, in the conversation in which to have the argument with, which is a very common um, technique in writing of the time, but he uh, he says this. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Mm. And James is using this key phrase, what use is it? Uh, he used it in 14. He starts out, what use is it? He says in 16, what use is it? Then he's just emphasizing, you know, the difference between a faith that is all profession and no action. Um, and we know that works are a fruit of faith. It's a, uh, our faith produces works. If we don't have works, it means that our faith is dead, right? Like a tree that does not produce fruit or a fruit tree that does not produce fruit is a dead tree. And, um, this concept of seeing someone in need is what uh, Donald Whitney is really bringing out in our book. And uh, Neil, what did you notice in the first uh, opening area? Was there anything that stood out to you there? Yeah, it, kind of more in the history of the, you know, Christian church, you know, kind of drawing on this idea of what, uh, what, what, I don't want to say grace is, but it is a grace, but what, convictions expressed in the early church uh how how those convictions impacted the world around them you know you think about like roman history for instance since everybody's talking about that right now um <laughs> how often uh, do you think about the, the roman empire neil every time i get ice from my refrigerator i tell my wife this is how roman emperors get <laughs> got, got ice she goes Go to sleep, your majesty. <laughs> <laughs> Caesar, but, hail Caesar, whatever. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, you think about these convictions that Christians had to not only um, do things like refuse to uh, worship or celebrate or sacrifice to, you know, Roman emperors or the gods of the day, right, in the Roman Empire, so they had that conviction to withhold those things, but they also gave defenses for uh, their practice, right? So you think about uh, doctrine and order or orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? Those things should work together, right? It's our doctrine. It's our core beliefs, what, what the teachings that we uphold in the Christian faith that move um, outward, like you were saying, through to good fruit, essentially, right? Good works. And some of the early church good works were things like um, caring for 
the sick um, before when a plague would hit a Roman city, they would just like essentially quarantine them to death. And, and Christians were going to those quarantine zones and caring for people, right? Like the first hospitals were birthed out of uh, Christianity. Or, I mean, you think about like um, the emancipation of the slaves, right? That was done by the abolitionists who were Christians. Um, there, there's so many different um, markers in church history where we see this principle on display. And I think what Whitney does really well in this chapter is he talks about our perception of needs, um, that we essentially, a healthy and a strong believer grows in their perception of the needs that are around them. You know, you think about um, in Mark, oh, what is it? My brain just blanked. Uh, tell me the ad or find the address. Mark 6, 33 through 34. Uh, Jesus, he came out and saw a great multiple, a multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. And uh, be, why was he moved with compassion? Because they were sheep, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Um, so he began to teach them many things. Um, now, what's interesting in Mark is what happens next after that point. So Jesus has compassion. He can perceive the needs of these people around him. Uh, he wants to meet that spiritual need. So he begins to teach them. But then he also does a really cool thing. Uh, and that's that he feeds the 5,000, right? Yeah. And he takes care of their physical needs as well so that they can essentially not so they would, but uh, it's just like a natural aspect. Um they're, they're more keen to listen to him if they have full bellies as well. Right. And so, and, but they also see the miracle that's happening uh, in their midst. So Jesus commonly meets a physical need, but he always addresses the spiritual need as well. And I think that's probably the aspect we want to talk about the most today, that kind of balance between the two yeah. um, uh, in, in counseling, Matt, cause you know, you've done a lot of uh, biblical counseling in your church and with Mighty Oaks and others, right? Um, this is something that we deal with often, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we could we could take anything from um, a smaller, lower, lower area where I had a guy come into our church and he was just, he said, I'm, I'm hungry all the time. And I was like, what do you mean you're hungry? Like, you don't have money for food? Like, is that what's going on? He's just a younger guy, probably 18, 19. He's like, no, he's like, I don't know how to cook, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I hooked him up with a couple guys that were bachelors and, and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll teach you how to cook. You know, this is how we plan our meals. And, um, and that was a great, uh, great opportunity. We were able to fit that need. So, it, you know, it wasn't a financial need. It wasn't a, a superficial need. I mean, he had a legitimate problem. No one had taught him to cook. He was just, well, that's just how he was. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you think about uh, in cases of abuse yeah. where uh, someone comes in and, you know, they're devastated. Maybe the the husband has gone to jail and the spouse um, needs some form of, of care. Well, she doesn't need just spiritual and emotional care, which is 100 percent what she needs. But she also needs physical care. Uh, she needs someone to uh, to help with all the various things that a man does and. Um, so having the church jump in 
and and fill not only spiritual needs but physical needs. And you know, Neil, I think this is probably where our evangelical culture can be problematic is because we don't want to be liberals, we don't focus on the social welfare as much, whereas the liberals will focus primarily on the social and less on the spiritual. Um, and having that balance and saying, no, we care about the whole person. We care about their circumstances and their spiritual reality. Yeah. Yeah. Their spiritual well-being is, is so important. Um, and a lot of men in my congregation um, are blue collar type guys, uh, construction and electric, those kind of backgrounds. And for them, God has gifted them with just the ability to do general contracting type stuff. And so they may not be able to jump in in a counseling case um, spiritually, but man, they are so quick. If I say, hey, I need someone to help patch holes in these walls, I need someone to uh, landscape or that, man, they're like the first ones offering up their extra time, which is very limited. Uh, for the help of others. It's just, it's just a healthy vision of it. Um, but we as Christians need to grow in discernment of the needs of the people that we encounter and to be looking for those needs, right? So yeah. you mentioned the early Christians in the Roman Empire. A lot of Romans would uh, commit uh, infanticide if they had a girl they didn't want or, or a child they didn't want. They would just put them out in the elements. And the Christians would go out into the field where they would leave those babies and they'd collect those babies and and raise them and care for them. Yeah. Um, and we see and, and we, we see the same things happening today. You know, we see that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we recognize the evils of abortion. And at the same time, most adoption agencies and most people adopting um, are these Christians or every fostering. Time there's a, or fostering yeah you see a natural disaster what what is it those yellow caps the baptist men they're they're running out there to try to yeah. um support and you know giving giving say significantly more um from evangelical christians and so you know, i think we're doing it fairly well but i think on the individual and personal level we have to be aware i need to be growing in perceiving the needs of those around me and filling those needs. And, you know, yeah. what comes to me is um, the story of Esther and Esther was kind of unaware of what was about to happen to the Jews. Right. And, and her uncle Mordecai comes along and says, you know, you're here for such a time as this, essentially uh, you need to intervene. Otherwise God will choose someone else to do it. Yeah. My mind goes to Acts chapter nine. Uh, we're we're told about a a woman in Acts nine whose name is Dorcas or Tabitha, probably the <laughs> the the more preferred name, uh, maybe for us today. But uh, you know, Dorcas was known as someone who was always doing good works and acts of charity, and she died, and it it left a huge impact. Like it impacted the church she was a part yeah. of. Everybody was grieving. Uh, the situation. Um, but when, when uh, Peter got there, um, they, they showed him all the robes and the clothes that Dorcas has made while she yeah. was with them. Like she was making things for others. She was perceiving the needs of others around her and clothing the, the clothes clothless, right? She used her gifts, her talents to bless other people. Now, Peter, you know, 
ended up uh, raising her back up to life. And so she got to do some more of that, uh, that work later. But I think that's just another great example of a woman uh, in, in the Bible who's celebrated as someone who was about the good works and charity uh, to extend to others. But I think you're exactly right, Matt. Like when we talk about growing and concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others, oftentimes we will uh, almost like work on a pendulum uh, where we'll end up out of balance, right? We'll we'll go all temporal, no spiritual, or all spiritual, no temporal, and and that's erroneous, right? For the Christian, perceiving the needs of others means both, right? Uh, we don't want to be so fixated on one side or the other. They ha- we we need to approach it with balance. Now, if you like what James is pointing out in James two, the passage that you read earlier, right? He's saying like someone comes up to you and they're hungry. You don't just say be warmed and filled, right? Like uh, like you're in Peter Pan at the table mm-hmm. imagining the the feast you're partaking in, right? No, like feed them. Give them your cloak, right? Like all of these things, do these actions for them, uh, but also express their greatest need. And I really appreciate that Whitney identifies that in this chapter. He talks uh, quite at length about the greatest issue that every person is facing. And that's the issue of where they stand before a holy and righteous God. And so the the sin issue that all people face is always going to be the biggest thing. Like, you know, you think about uh, triaging. <laughs> we, we don't, we don't, start to bandage a cut when there's a sunken chest wound, right? We deal with the sunken chest wound first. And so, you know, just kind of using that concept to consider like, Hey, what, what is the actual need here? Um, ultimately not neglecting that on the grounds of something else. Um, but we tend to both. We don't, we also don't leave the cut uncovered, uh, to get infected, right? We deal with both of those things. And, and I appreciate uh, very much uh, it's, you know, Whitney's heart in writing this chapter of like, hey, a healthy Christian um, pays, pays deep attention to the spiritual needs of others who Jesus, who's a great physician, can deal with, right? But they also, because of their love uh, for others that is continuing to grow, which we've already talked to some about, um, we extend physical, temporal uh, need. Uh, um, services to those folks as well um but we also have to be careful right matt you you grew up as a missionary kid um so you you probably have some experience with like short-term mission trips and stuff like that um yeah how have you seen the people of god do this very poorly yeah um man i probably too long and too much to enumerate uh but i i think there's a level of there are so many needs out there and we want to be useful. We either try to do all the needs or we miss the most important glaring need in front of us. Um, You know, a lot of times I think the short-term mission trips are more for the missionaries, the short-term missionaries than they are for the long-term missionaries. Um, and you know, that does 
produce a fervor and a desire for missions in the life of that group that came, right? Which is which is good things. But a lot of times, you know, they'll come and they'll paint a wall that's been painted three or four times, or they'll um, you know build um, a concrete slab, or they'll you know paint a building when you could just pay a local worker twenty five cents to do the whole thing, right? You know, and and, and so there's that, and there's also where they pay. Um, you know, missions, like they pay the locals significant more money or significantly more money than they would um, get any other job. And so people are just pretending to be pastors in order to get the funds from the missionaries um, or they're not seeking ways to be self-sufficient. And so uh, there's whole books written on when helping hurts and, and things like that. Great you resource. Know, you know, my, yeah. My biggest concern with talking about needs though is does every need necessitate a response mm -hmm. so you know you have someone knock on your door say hey i can't pay my rent um what do you do yeah yeah i think uh biblical biblically we have um a defense for not meeting a desired need of someone else and i think that's the language maybe to help clarify there are oftentimes people come and they have a desire they want met that is actually going to be unhelpful for you uh, to, you know, placate or give them. Right. And, you know, we, we see stuff like this in, in the Bible. Right. So one of the things Whitney says uh, in, in the chapter is this is not to say that the existent, uh, existence of a need always equals the call to meet it. Not even Jesus responded to every need he could have met. It's true. There were occasions when he healed all who were sick, like in Matthew 8, 16. But this wasn't always the case. The gospel tell, gospels, excuse me, the gospels tell us there were many times, such as the one recorded in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. Um, and Jesus left them, right? He he moved from, away from them. He frequently had thousands pressing around him, all with their needs, and many of them probably screaming for just his touch uh, on a dying spouse or a child, pleading with him for the healing of sight, begging him to have mercy. Yet sometimes he walked on or sailed away. Uh, but even when he did this, and this is important, he was conscious of the needs. So he yeah. he could perceive what what they were desiring, right? But he turned away only because he was turning to something else that he knew was the will of God for him at that moment. And sometimes the growing Christian must do the same. To your point, Matt, sometimes someone comes to you with a desire uh, that you know we can't fill, or it would be almost sinful to fill, you know. Like in the case where you say someone comes to you and they say, man, I can't pay my rent. And my grandma told me if I ever was in a bad spot, go to the church and they'll they'll give me money. <laughs> right. I've yeah, heard that yeah. before. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not. I, that's a quote. Um, <laughs> um, so if I just take this stranger off the street and just, you know, give them whatever they want, am I helping them truly? Um, well, no. I'm not helping them. I don't know them. Uh, I haven't sought to know them yet. It's almost like pay to get them out of your life. Like uh, I feel like a lot of times churches do a lot of 
what they call benevolence is actually settlements, right? They they give settlements to get people away. Um, we want to bring them close. We want to seek to know them. We want them in the life of the church. You know, when we see in the book of Acts, um, Christians caring for one another, they're doing that in the context of the local church. So like Christians, we're not called to spend all of our money and all of our resources just on whoever is in the community, right? Um, but we're called to share our lives with one another, particularly. So like if you have a member of a church who's who got laid off from their job and they need an immediate need, like that's prime real estate for the church to mobilize and care for directly meeting that need, right? Um, but when we have outsiders coming in, uh, who are coming with issues or or problems, right? We want to start by getting to know who they are so that we can better discern what the need actually is. Because the need might be that this guy needs some direction on finding a job instead of just paying his rent where he doesn't look for a job, right? The, the direction might be the person who's coming because they're hungry uh, we feed them, uh, of course, but we don't just um, we we don't equip them to feed themselves as well, you know. So we we want to be wise at, as a serpent, innocent as a dove, you know. I think that's the the principle to follow here, and that and this is uh, contentious, you know. Again, Matt and I are expressing like what we think the Bible's clearly teaching. Uh, you may disagree outright with what we're saying, um, but um, if you have a disagreement, man, go back to God's word, discern these things by what God's word says. That's how we'll always encourage you. Don't just take our word for it is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, you know, Neil, um, there's a couple of passages um, we see, you know, if someone won't work, they don't, they don't eat. We see in Proverbs, it says, First Thessalonians. Um, yeah. yeah. And then in Proverbs, we see the, uh, the appetite of, the worker stirs him on to to work, right? The laborer, you know. So sometimes being hungry is a an uh, an impetus or an impetus that pushes us forward. So like that guy who came to the church and said, "Hey, I don't know, you know, I'm hungry. I don't know how to cook," right? Well, the Lord used that to get him in fellowship with other men. Um, and so I, I think you know, there's also a church based nature of this. So there's accountability in the local church. There's an ability to vet people um, more carefully. Uh, James says brothers and sisters. He's very clear um, in his language. He's talking about church members, and um, it starts in the household of God and then moves on from there. Um, I think also— Galatians, I think Paul talks about caring even more so for those who are in the household of faith. Yeah, um, and, and, I, and I think the church itself— is the institution that God has created to do these things. And so giving to your local church, which supports various missions in the community, right? You know, our church has a focus in some different areas, but we have like a CareNet pregnancy center that we support. Um, and the money that people give to the church, a good port, you know, it used to be for us, 50% um, of our budget went to missions of various types of local missions, uh, international missions. Um, national missions, but we we're caring for the needs of our community through these various programs uh, as well. And so, anyways, all that to say is, if if you're overwhelmed by the needs, one every need 
that is expressed does not necessarily necessarily have to be met, uh, but we want to be growing it. So how do we grow in it, Neil? Yeah. So the first step he says is to go to the great ophthalmologist, right? Like go, go to the eye doctor. That's Jesus. You know, one of the the unique aspects of Jesus is that he heals the sight of the blind. Um, that that's a standalone thing. No one else does does that in the Bible except for Christ. And um, here, Christ, we see him restoring sight, and he can re- he can give us sight. Uh, so, like, I think the first step, uh, Matt, and I think it's wise. It should initiate prayer. We should be asking yeah. the Lord, God, would you give me a clear vision for those around me? Help me to be like you, having compassion on the lost who don't have a shepherd. Uh, let me tell them about the good shepherd. Uh, but also, Lord, let me be like you and, and discern the physical needs of those around me that that I may be able to fill or I may be able to mobilize others around me to fill. Right. I, and I think that's a key thing, Matt, because oftentimes uh, what what Christians do is they they have this belief that or we have this belief that uh, if we can't feel it, it's not worth talking about. Right. Uh, we can't fill every and do every single thing. We we just don't have the capacity, right? But we can facilitate the service of others often. You know, I think about my parents' church, right? They have this uh, this ministry they do. And once a quarter, um, basically, they've trained their people to look out at the community around them and to identify these kinds of things. And basically to write it on a prayer card and lay it at the altar. And then the deacons will take those things and they'll pray over and they'll select one. And the church will mobilize to meet those needs of, of an individual. Like maybe it's getting a car for somebody or they built a, there was a family who had like six kids in a one room house. So they built an addition on the house they, uh, yeah. and, and, and ministered to them the whole time they started a, uh, a free clinic in the, in downtown. Um, and three of the doctors that work at that clinic are deacons in the church <laughs> uh, also. Right. And so they have volunteers who come once a month to sit in the waiting room, show the gospel, talk about the spiritual needs uh, of the folks who are sitting in the waiting room uh, looking to get care, but they also offer that care as well. So, you know, man, asking God, Lord, will you help me see? That's the threshold, right? Uh, those basic spiritual disciplines that Whitney's always talking about, right? I appreciate it. he always goes back to them, right? And this is prayer. It's fundamental. What else do you see, Matt? Um, he the, he says, you know, looking for the for the hurt in every heart and home. Um, man, I just thought that was very insightful. He said everybody's got some some heartache, right? Some yeah. type of overwhelming heartache. Um, you know, he says here that the statistics show that every household in the United States experiences a crisis or significant life change every six months on average. Mm. Um, you know, he gives some examples of people who look like they got all things put together, but they're dealing with wayward children or they're dealing with all sorts of um, things. And so he says, you know, begin to look for that uh, behind the scenes. And I think a lot of that comes with having fellowship and community 
uh, with these types of people, right? Rubbing yeah. elbows. You know, you're not going to know what your neighbor is struggling with if you never see your neighbor except a wave hello and goodbye. Hmm. Yeah. And then the next one is all about action, right? Do something for the gospel and the good of others. Would God have you see so many needs and meet none? <laughs> right? Like, yeah, right. Uh, of course not, right? I, I appreciate uh, Donald doing that kind of James-like rhetorical question. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. like you, obvi- it's obvious here uh, what you should do. You should uh, actually give someone food who's hungry right you should actually give someone your jacket if they are cold um yeah so look discern what the needs of others and then do something about it right don't sit passively until you quote unquote feel led to particular needs go adventurously into your world with the gospel and the love of christ and you will find him guiding you to the needs he wants you to meet and as you become his instrument and in meeting the needs of others you'll find him also meeting the needs uh, that you have as well. Um, I think those are the big the big ones uh, to consider developing or cultivating, right? So start with prayer, um, do something good, um, and then remember that everybody's hurting in some capacity. So the needs are there. They exist. It's on us as we continue to grow in our faith to engage people by seeking to love them, to know them, and to serve them uh, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. So something um, stood out to me. Something stood out to me about this. Um, in Acts, we see a need arising. The Hellenistic widows were being yeah, ignored, and um, the apostles they they get together and they say, "Well." We can't neglect the preaching, teaching, and praying, uh, the ministry of the word and prayer. So we're going to designate people to do that. Um, and so, you know, some I think there's a principle there that we can also, if you're in leadership, you personally are not the one that has to meet every possible need uh, to the neglect of your primary callings. Which is uh, the spiritual a, needs and right. maturity yeah, and, and you're not your called people. to, to um, ignore them or, or not yeah. deal with them, right? Because that's our that's our tendency. Oh, that's not my problem. Yeah. Uh, but there is a, a level of the importance of leadership and cultivating. And, you know, you mentioned that story about the opening of the clinics and things like that and just gathering uh, people and resources to hit those needs. Yeah. And I just think that's also important as uh, pastors – to remember there's a lot of needs out there and there's a lot of broken people, a lot of hurting people, a lot of spiritual needs. Um, and it's not up to us to do all of it ourselves, but it is up to us um, to find solutions. Yeah. I think the language that's most helpful in my mind is facilitation, right? Like I remember yeah. a single lady in the church uh, who is also a widow uh, can't, uh, she was single then became, yeah it's anyway complicated she came to me and she was just talking about like the physical issues that she was facing in her older age and uh really struggling to mow her grass like i don't have the capacity right now uh to mow her grass for her um and so i told some folks in the church and man they get it done like <laughs> they and they they just said oh that's it all right and they went and executed and they continue to execute. And so, man, I just appreciate that. Like, man, we have 
the body of Christ. Um, yeah. Don't feel like it's on you alone. It's on all of us, right? To to minister to those in need. So I think Acts 6 is a great place uh, to consider as well. Talk about the unity of the church. You know, we, we will lose our unity if we neglect the spiritual aspects of the church. Yeah. We will lose our unity if we also neglect the physical needs of the body as well. So um, maintain unity, right? All right, guys. Well, next time we'll we'll be considering how you delight in the bride of Christ in the church. And so, man, that's talking about the church is one of my favorite things in general. So I'm looking forward to doing that, uh, you know, in the coming weeks ahead. Um, Matt and I are headed off to Santa Clarita, California. Uh, next week, we'll be going to the Association of Certified Biblical Counseling Conference, um, where we'll we'll be running a booth and and enjoying all of the things going on in there. If you're going to be at that conference, man, come by and see uh, see me at the Mighty Oaks booth. Matt will be around too. We're going to try and capture some uh, some interviews with people while we're there as well. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to accomplish some of that. Um, by the time you get this episode though we're already gonna be back yeah (laughs) we'll be back (laughs) but uh if y'all are gone man we'd love to see you guys so uh come and check in um but until next time neil and matt we out